0: All right, folks, welcome back to Mind Escape, I am your host Mike, uh, and Happy New Year. I know we're almost halfway through the month, and probably some people don't like that, but we haven't done an episode yet, so. Uh, I am feeling better, thank you to all the people who reached out, uh, sent nice messages and everything, I'm feeling a lot better, uh, completely changed a lot of stuff in my life, working out, taking supplements, doing some stuff, so... Um, I'm feeling good, so I'm excited. That was a new intro, by the way. Created that myself. Uh, the music did all of the instruments on Logic and everything. And so, I'm gonna maybe make a full song at some point and put it up on our Patreon. But, um, yeah, I did that, and then my wife contributed a little bit of vocal action in there. Um, Yeah. And shout out to Maurice who helped me figure out a few things on Premiere Pro as well. So thank you, Maurice. Maurice is out of town, but when he comes back, we're going to have him on as well. So that'll be, we got 300 coming up. It's a big one. We've been doing this six years now, episode 300. It's quite the milestone. So it's the longest creative project I've ever been a part of and I've been in bands my whole life. So, um, Exciting stuff, but uh, tonight we have special guest in front of the show. Uh, PD Newman is back on, and we're going to discuss his new book, Theurgy. Let me pull it up here. This thing's a badass hardcover book, Theurgy: Theory and Practice, the Mysteries of the Ascent to the Divine. Um, Where you know. The bottom part, he has Homeric ep- uh, Epics, the Chaldean Oracles, and the Neoplatonic Ritual. Um, so when we've had PD on recently, a lot of psychedelics, ancient psychedelics, symbolism stuff, um, I feel like this is kind of a little bit of a you know change-up from what you normally do, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, I learned a lot, even though I do know a decent amount about the topic. But, um, well, first of all, welcome back on the show, dude. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. And that intro is fantastic.
0: Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Put a little bit of time into it and maybe it'll (laughs) keep evolving too. We'll see. But uh, let me know what you think. I mean, we had the same old intro for a while. So if you like the new intro, you know, give a nice, nice review or send us a message. And uh, if not, we've still got the old one if people really don't like it. So, um, (laughs) uh, so let's talk about this new book. Um, I did know some about theurgy just from going back four or five years ago. I went through all the pre-Socratics and platonic dialogues a ton and stuff like that. Um, What got you into the topic? And why don't you kind of explain what it is? Because people might have heard the word before, but I I don't think a lot of people actually know what theurgy is.
1: Sure. In, In one regard, I think it is, like you said, kind of a departure from what I normally research, but in an, in another sense, it's really not, um, because the kind of the underlying theme of all of my work has been this notion of transcendence, you know, of, of uh, transcendence of, of self and breaking out of limitations of self. And I think uh, this fits right in with that in terms of... Uh, psychedelic and just or if entheogenic right entheogenic specifically refers to the the generation of the divine within oneself and just that alone is very similar to the meaning of of theurgy it means to work with the gods and this work is an an internal work even though it's ritualized and there is some import given to the manipulation of material things as symbols that transcend their basic stations so they're similar but you're right it is it is different from anything i've done in the past because it's not really about psychedelics but it is very psychedelic the content of it and what it's actually describing Um, theurgy itself like I said, it means to work with the gods or the work of the gods. It's a combination of two Greek words, one meaning meaning deities or deity, and the other meaning work. So it, you could spin it a number of ways, but those are the basic concepts in that conju- conjuncted word. Um, and it first, the, the term itself first appears in the second century with this father son ritual team that are known as the giuliani uh, because they're both their names are julian not to be confused with emperor julian who was also a theurgist and um existed around the same time Uh, but different different julians and um what it basically consists of is they're uh, contacting certain deities in this case largely apollo and hecate and the deities speaking through them in this oracular form and these divine utterances and so a lot a lot like the way john Dee and edward kelly would work where you'd have john Dee doing the these invocations to the deities or to the angels in his case and and edward kelly being the seer the one who could actually see and hear them it worked a lot like that with this call and response kind of technique um and the predominant philosophy of the day was of course plato and plato is not really read in this way much these days but his metaphysical teachings are very heady very kind of for lack of a better word, psychedelic, and they use what are this we talking? And, like
0: theory of forms, or uh, that,
1: well, the, that's the basics of it. That, right. that, that there's there's the sensible reality, which is the world of the senses and objects that we can perceive with our senses and touch them, and and but behind that is this ultimate reality that is more real than this one. And in that reality, of course, the, like you said, the forms or the ideas, these uh, it's been interpreted as number for Neo-Pythagoreans ratio. Um, but these forms that inform the way everything happens here. Um, you could almost think about it like a blueprint um, for reality. And what the theorists are actively trying to do is explore this this blueprint and plato in his phaedrus dialogue which is where we get the famous soul chariot idea that the the soul has this vehicle that can that can carry it to the station of the gods where one can not only just directly perceive but participate in these divine actions in the realm of the gods um which is in pre-socratic thinking that's not how things worked you know you you have this concept of going into the underworld and facing divinities and things but prior to plato there really wasn't any talk about man going up mount olympus that that was for the gods and, and it's normal for a post christian world to think about oh well you know in the in the christian model man dies and he can go to heaven or sometimes have visions of heaven as a as a living person but those ideas in christianity were largely influenced by this christianity is thoroughly platonic in a number of different ways but plato introduced this idea that um uh, that man could ascend and be at one with the gods and have this experience of the divine
0: yeah so basically theurgy is human beings trying to interact with the gods in their favor Uh, what i found interesting though so one of the we've got some main players we've got uh platinus we've got porphyry we've got Proclus. we've got uh Iamblichus um so supposedly it came first was Plotinus then Porphyry was a student and then mm-hmm. Iamblichus was Porphyry's student right is that
1: how that goes his successor and then yeah. following that we have Proclus um and then some less heavy hitters after that Damascius Olympiodorus Hermias um but those are the main guys um after Plato was gone the academy had kind of been taken over by stoics and skeptics that weren't really doing what plato was doing and when plotinus enters the picture he sees himself as correcting this this mistake that's happened in the academy and along with that he really introduces this idea that is very similar to eastern modalities and eastern philosophies that that you can contact and become one with god experientially that you and this this ties right in with what we talk about with ego death you know lots of new age folks think about ego death in a very kind of immature and not philosophical way Um, the ego doesn't die if it did we'd have no interface with the world we, we would have no um, point of reference for yeah, you ourselves. need some
0: ego or you're n- never going to get anything done it's like you know it's kind of like right. what what you feed your ego right you know if you've got mm-hmm. good feedback and you're introspective i think you're good you know kind of a thing
1: yeah that's exactly right and and we do have experiences of ego death especially in meditation and, and psychedelics and magical ritual um but it's not a death it's a temporary abeyance it's kind of um, in psychedelic language this is discussed as being the experience of the dmn the default mode network that is kind of the locus of the brain where the experience of the self takes place um when you're experiencing what we call ego death that goes silent it's usually full of this all of this activity this static but once that static goes away usually after uh, ingesting a tryptamine or or lsd um, that will on brain scans go silent and that's the moment at which the individual reports later of having experienced what we call ego death but plotinus was doing this through purely contemplative practices Um, and there's a big kind of argument about whether or not plotinus was totally against ritual and only espoused an internal contemplative process Um, but i don't think that's the case there's plenty of plenty of ways to approach plotinus that's clear that he wasn't completely opposed to ritual and moreover internal contemplative processes can be ritualistic a good example is in uh, vajra vajrayana buddhism many of these rituals involve ritual implements that are in the mind that you you're imagining doing it going through these motions Um, instead of sitting in a temple and manipulating a a doors for example they would do this internally and that makes it no less ritualistic just because it's happening inside in the mere act of, of sitting silently you know this is this is ritualistic in itself but after plotinus it really takes a heavy ritual turn and this happens with the introduction of the chaldean oracles and we really learn about that from plotinus's student porphyry he wrote a book that's now save a few fragments is lost um uh, um, it's about the philosophy of oracles behind producing oracles and many of the oracles he dealt with in this text were from the chaldean oracles from these two these giuliani and uh and it especially focuses on rituals specifically there's this death ritual that they would do um where the the personal station would be transcended and they would have this experience of again you know not just leaving the body but of leaving time getting outside of time and space and you know concepts that are really familiar to someone who meditates or does psychedelics and or does certain forms of ceremonial magic but beyond that it's really hard concepts to to discuss and wrap your head around but that's what they were doing and and porphyry he he's the one who really broke down the theory behind theurgy and the theory is this cosmological picture that he paints of the soul that falls from divinity enters a body and then has to climb back up these levels of the heavens it falls through like it's climbing a ladder and in that image still exists in a lot of mystery schools in masonry for example there's the ladder with seven rungs and each of those rungs represents a a level of the heavens and there's seven because they refer to the seven visible planets the seven planets visible to the ancients and as the soul descends through each of these levels it acquires um a, a layer of pneuma of of this airy kind of mist fiery airy mist you can think of it as that weighs the soul down so you can if you're familiar with the myth of Ishtar uh, Inanna who descends into Kerr the Mesopotamian underworld and she does this by walking under seven arches and at each arch she has to take off an article of clothing until she gets all the way at the bottom and she's completely nude so it's like the reverse of this for incarnation you're acquiring a layer and another layer and another layer until you're heavy enough to stay down here in a body and these planetary layers they come with the virtues and the vices associated with these and this is th- this this thinking is the origin of the seven deadly sins for example those seven deadly sins are those seven vices that come from each of those planets there are also seven virtues that come with them um, But once you have them, once you've acquired them, the only way to get back up there without physically dying is by casting them off one by one. And this idea also shows up in um, the Corpus Hermeticum, for example, uh, and the Divine Poimendres, where each planetary vice and virtue are cast off and the soul gets lighter and lighter until it can ascend. Uh, and with the these vices and virtues you'd think virtues are a good thing the more virtues would make you lighter but no they both of them tie us to sensible reality you know, they they tie us into the good and the bad are equally distracting in this context <clears throat> so
0: a lot of these guys have different thoughts though even though they all were teachers and students I think um, was it Plotinus and Proclus maybe they both believed in the monad or the one the intellect or noose and the soul or psyche um, and then I, is it with the uh, who was it? I think it was maybe Porphyry that kind of dismissed the Egyptian mysteries, like the ritual. Maybe I'm getting that wrong. but
1: the, well, That ritual, might not have
0: even been in your book, by the way. That might have been something I saw somewhere else.
1: The, well, it is true that, that there was this dismissal of ritual, but, yeah. but that's that earlier Plutinian... And, and and again, it's not one hundred percent correct.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that's it. Was yeah, it was Platinus and Porphyry were like against like animal sacrifice and like
1: oh, definitely yeah st-
0: stuff like that. That's what it was.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, in the animal sacrifice, animal sacrifice was the name of the game and in public religion in both Greece and in ancient Judaica. You know, the 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 sacrifice was necessary and it was true in Egypt also but a lot of people have difficulty especially now with animal rights and things discussing that kind of thing and without discussing it it's really hard to wrap your head around it in the way they were thinking but their cosmos was divine so even though we have the sensible and the intelligible in Plato we've got the material world and we've got the intellectual world of ideas everything here only exists here because it originates over there so in the final analysis for them everything is divine everywhere you look around every tree you see every animal you see is a kind of a fractal of a god and a lot of people are familiar with the egyptian idea that the god Thoth or tahuti um he's represented often by an Ibis, Ibis bird. And in modern magical orders, like for example, the Hermetic order of the golden dawn, you're taught that every kingdom of nature, everything in it corresponds to a certain God, but they use it more as a mnemonic, a symbolic mnemonic. So if they saw an Ibis, they would know to think Thoth, like it jogs the memory kind of and reminds you of thoth but for the earlier way of looking at this was more that that ibis is thoth and and Proclus talks about this when he's using um, the Sun as an example the Sun God isn't the Sun itself but the Sun is under the if we think about it as a chain the sun would be a pendant below the God of the sun. And then below the planet, the star would be, um, if we line up the kingdoms as animals, plants, metals, minerals. Well, in the animal kingdom, the rooster, which crows with the stations of the sun would be considered solar, would be considered an avatar of Apollo or Helios. And so would the lion because of his mane, he looks like the sun and, the, the only sign the sun rules is Leo, for instance, which is the lion. But in the plant kingdom, it would be heliotrope, which is sacred to the sun, a, a sunflower. In the metal kingdom, it would be the, the metal gold. Each and this continued into alchemy. Each planet has its own metal, but they don't correspond to it in the way they think of it. It is it, and in in a lesser kind of not so loud tempered form so they're when they sacrifice an animal the the animal that they are sacrificing is one that is that God and and we get that this this transfers into Christianity even when you know that with Christ being sacrificed and you consume his body and his blood and what what is called theophagia God eating and this is true also in Greek religion when they eat the when they sacrifice the animal it's not just burned to a crisp it's divvied up and certain portions go to certain types of people but it has to be eaten without the people eating it there's no communing with the God so the God is literally killed and eaten for his own honor and and, you know that's a kind of a far out notion in itself but that's what they're doing is is participating in the god by taking him into their body which in turn shows them that they are inside of his body that we're all I- inside the god and that, that's something that yamblichus talks about that man's soul is contained in his body but for a god his body is contained in his soul and in a sense We would be his body, and this translates again in the you know man made in God's image in the Jewish teachings. So, internal logic to it, you know. So, Iamblichus,
0: um, he thinks that you can't you can't get the gods to do something like you're not going to do something that's going to get the gods to do what you mm-hmm. want to do it's almost like you have to do something and then they realize it themselves or something like, like can he, you explain that the, yeah.
1: divine persuasion it's this persuasive thing with him yeah but i think that's like that, the most
0: complicated aspect of this whole thing can you like kind of un- unpack sure, yeah. that aspect of it
1: P- prior to that if you look at for instance the rituals in the greek magical papyri which is a, a kind of a recipe book for all these different magical operations. In a lot of cases, the God is being compelled by the priest or the magician to do these things, often under threats. And Iamblichus is like, that. obviously, that's absurd. You, you can't make the God do something, you can't threaten a God, you know, that even if you could go through with it, you couldn't even go through with it. But it, it it complicates matters because in Neoplatonism, they they teach that the God teaches their mode of invocation. So in their mind, in a state of trance, the deity would communicate to you how they want to be invoked. And these communications can sometimes include compulsions, um, but they told you to so long as they told you to, then you can compel the God. But beyond that, that the divine, divine persuasion is central to what has said, and it shows up in Porphyry, also, and there's a section in his philosophy of oracles, where you're um, kind of like in Parmenides, when Parmenides descends into the underworld, and he needs the the guard, the goddess that's standing there guarding the gates to Hades to open the doors of Hades for him. And they persuade her, they charm her, and finally convince her to do it. They don't compel her, but that persuasion it shows up even as early as the pre-Socratics, kind of, um, again, charming them and even tricking them if you can. And Tricking them, compul- compelling them also ha- carries with it an element of daring, you know, that you're courageous enough to, even though you couldn't trick God, you can try to trick them. And it's almost, you could think about it as a parent whose child were trying to trick them and you see immediately what they're doing, but it's cute a little bit. So you let them do it, you know, kind of like that. Um, they saw that as a better way of going about it um rather than just saying you don't you don't do anything with the gods you don't invoke them they invoke you you know they have all the power but again in their thinking if you're invoking the god that's the god making you invoke them in a way you you know we have no power we're just lowly physical beings Um, and all of our drives and motivations are the result of the interplay of these divine forces in our world so where we might think we have free will to do a thing our feeling of free will of acting on uh, the impetus to invoke a god could just as much be said to be that god's participation in our world through us
0: yeah oh um so iamblichus um was a philosopher uh neoplaton uh neoplatonic philosopher from what's now i think syria um and uh he was also like a pythagorean biographer if you will um he was fascinated with pythagoras and held a lot of the similar philosophies and stuff like that um who do you think is the most because like from what it seems like Iamblichus made it like this like complex thing where he's got like the monad at the top and it works its way like I said the intellect and then the soul and all that but it seemed like his is more complex than like Plotinus's which would make sense yeah. I mean it's later on but you know
1: yeah he he brings in he he, his argument is that all true priests are theurgists and that all of these priestly acts basically amount to theurgic acts and he's the one who brings in like you said for plotinus it's it's simple you have the three hypostases which are the monad the one who would be the father god at the top below that you have the noose or the intellect or or mind almost in the kind of the buddhist sense of mind in um, the second station that's what becomes known as the demiurge in plato and and but keep in mind they're all one thing it's like this is the source of the christian holy trinity with three persons but one entity one being and then it under mind you have suke or soul which is the world soul and in the neoplatonist this becomes hecate and they each also represent levels of the heavens so all of those pl- seven planetary heavens that's the realm of hecate of suke and beyond that um the realm of the fixed stars that's the noose with all each star being an idea or a form in the mind of god and then beyond that is the you know what Aristotle called the the prime mover, the unmoved mover, the, the one, the father. Um, and you can see why Suke would become spirit, Holy Spirit and the holy in the Christian model. Um, so yeah, his is very simple. His is simply transcending the body and participating in each of these hypostases um sequentially until you unite with the one but for iamblichus he he brings in this idea and it doesn't start with him it's present in the middle platonist but he's the one who really kind of lays it all out into a philosophy a big grand workable philosophy remember we said that all of the things here are the gods and, and kind of fractal form well He refers to these as sunthamata, which means tokens or signatures. In alchemy, they talk about the signatures. A sunflower carries the signature of the sun, which is why we call it a sunflower anyway. Or sumbola, uh, which are symbols. And the sumbola tend to be um, words, phrases, prayers, utterances by the gods and Homer or Hesiod, things like that. Those become sumbola and in the christian model you have simeon which is a sign Um, but they're all basically this idea of participating in that divinity through its emanations through its tokens its symbols and its signs and that's basically what what theurgic ritual amounts to is manipulating those objects (laughs) and the reason they do this is because in for example in the chaldean oracles it talks about how the father the one has sown these sunthamata into the cosmos and into our own souls but we're not aware of that we're asleep to the capacities of our souls because we're so into our bodily drives and plato had this concept called Anamnesis, which means to not forget, to remember, to specifically to remember your divinity, the divine origins of your soul. So by properly engaging these suntamata and sumbola, you can awaken the corresponding token in your soul it's a, it's a strange idea, but the more you kind of sit with it, it, the more it makes sense. And that, that anamnesis, again, I I keep bringing this back to Christianity because I think that's going to be more familiar to your viewers, even if they're not Christians, because we're surrounded by it. But when, when Christ is performing the last supper, for instance, and he says this do in remembrance of me, well, the word he uses for remembrance is a conjugation of anamnesis so he's literally saying by consuming these synthemata, the symbola the bread and the wine you it will cause you to have a divine remembrance of your own origins your own divine origins and anybody at the time who was remotely educated uh, would have immediately thought oh he's talking about Plato you know by, by using a word so platonic anybody hearing it would have thought yeah th- he's he's talking about what Plato was talking about which in a sense I call it a, a meta meta language because by using one word so suggestive of Plato you basically evoke all of Plato and it becomes blaringly obvious how Christianity is standing on Plato's shoulders with a lot of, you know, tweaks and and rules broken. But that's what the, the purpose is to awaken those tokens sown in our own souls, which in, in essence means realizing that we are the gods kind of masquerading as puppets down here. And I think that too is a very psychedelic revelation you know anybody who's taken enough LSD that they become God in a sense where you start to see the world through your own with your own illusion your own clouds out of the way and everybody does become sort of a, sort of a, a a puppet an actor that you've been you 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 get the real sense on a lot of psychedelic experiences that you've you're not working them right now you've always worked them you know and I don't mean take advantage of them I mean everyone is you interacting with itself and if we're gonna really talk about divinity at all and what that means to to be with the divine that I think that's really the only way to understand it because when we say the theurgist for the theorist the goal is to unite with the gods or with a God well that doesn't mean to hug them or to have sexual intercourse with them even though these are great metaphors but they're literally saying to become one with them and that's not a two-headed monster with a man's head and a God's head It's to completely shed the illusion of being an individual person. And remember that you are the one thing behind all things that the game you played before this happened. And the experience was just that something that you did that feels almost like a distraction, you know, you hear people who have had near-death experiences you know talk about that how how they look back and they see the body they previously carried around with them as almost like a a suit they've taken off you know and and the personality attached to it is no longer so important for them it, it, they it's not such a
0: how would you how would you distinguish those th- I, I always think about this like if conscious if your consciousness were to survive okay and you know you're saying that the personality or whatever wouldn't be attached but like what does that even mean how are you still because I feel like part of who we are are the collections of all the things that we've done and learned right so like if you take away like, what's left, I guess, would be my question. Just pure consciousness. And if that's the case, what what's, what's going on? Like, what's the next step? What's the point?
1: Yeah, it's problematic. And it, it brings in, it's paradoxical in the extreme. And it brings in the question of, you know, I, I think anybody who purports to know what happens when you die or what happened before you were incarnated in this life um, has, has settled on something. They've settled on an answer. But we don't we don't know and i'm not saying there aren't people out there who claim to have memories of a past life but let's just entertain the notion for a moment that reincarnation is real that that's the model well what part of this personality is more important than the previous 500 you know uh, why would this one be so important and in, in terms of what survives consciousness itself, you you know, without a body, the body's endocrine system is what gives us our experience of a lot of emotions and it gives us a lot of our drives. And, you know, so I personally, you know, I can't answer that. I don't think it's answerable. What would, what would a person look like without a person attached to it? And yet there are many, descriptions of this happening. I've experienced it myself. I I was struck by lightning back in um, 2015. And I had the experience of leaving my body and hovering above my body, laying on the balcony where I had been struck. And it was like a full-on psychedelic experience. I mean, that's the closest thing I can describe it to. It was like a very heavy dose of of mushrooms or LSD. And what I felt in that moment, <clears throat> I was seeing, I was seeing something specific in front of me in the sky and it wasn't, I I, I had thoughts running through Dude, me. Dude,
0: it was aliens. A, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it, it,
1: it was, no, what it looked like was like <laughs> a, it was like a golden like a building that was a mountain that was also kind of like a mosque or a temple. And it was made out of liquid gold that was all turning and shifting and had patterns all over it, rippling all over it. And my thought in that moment was, has that always been there? Uh, How have I not seen that before? And the next feeling was of vital interest. Like I really wanted to know what that was and I began moving towards it. You know but there was never a feeling of oh shit, i'm dead you know or um i need to get back in my body like none of those thoughts were part of that experience and that nor was there any fear it was literally just the most potent curiosity you could ever imagine wanting to know what is that that i'm looking at you know so but there was a sense of self it felt i felt like there was a point of reference um but fear it seems like would only be possible in a body because of the endocrine system because of these juices flowing through us that give us a feeling of fear or love does something give us curiosity i don't know but that yeah, that I mean, was the emotion yeah. i had was just curiosity and interest
0: or just real juicy just juicy juicy, yeah. juicy meat suits That's the new metal band name, Juicy Meat. meat That's what the meat puppets. Um, so back, okay. So, Plotinus, I did want to ask one more question like, nerdy question. Um, Plotinus talked about the mind and you know, like, objective, subjective, and then the realized intellect, right? Um, and he separated it, and then Iamblichus and, and Proclus. Um, kind of messed with that a little bit too, and they divided them into two one two two spheres, and then maybe added like a third sphere, like separating and connecting those worlds. But I mean, that seems like that's a huge part of what led to what we know is like Christian Gnosticism.
1: Sure, yeah the 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 especially the Sethian Gnostics were part of Plotinus's school. They were in the Academy, and several of the gospels that appear in the Nag Hammadi texts that were discovered in egypt in 1945 i think Um, we didn't know about those texts we knew their titles because porphyry talks about them circulating in plotinus's academy but when the actual books were found it was like oh they do exist and when you start looking at them they are platonic and in the extreme and uh Plotinus famously has this chapter in his Enneads, which is his collection of writings that Porphyry organized, um, called Against the Gnostics. You know, but what he's against, even though he does have this streak of dualistic Gnosticism about his own teachings, about matter kind of being evil and the the intelligible being the good, he does have that same Gnostic tendency. He's against this idea that that there could be an evil creator god for instance which is what the gnostics get from uh, plato's timaeus in his timaeus it's basically the book that became the chaldean oracles the metaphysics behind the book the timaeus dialogue is really what informed the chaldean oracles it's the underlying philosophy but in it You have this demiurge and demiurge remember is the noose the second party of the three hypostases and demiurge means the builder the craftsman the same thing freemason means and when the freemasons pray to um, the great architect of the universe they're praying to the demiurge and when christ is called a a carpenter he wasn't the word isn't carpenter the word is tecton which means craftsman and the father the second party being the son is the craftsman is the demiurge is the noose the logos oh that's interesting
0: well i know the the greek word techne which is like your your thing like if you're a sick musician that's your techne or your are a, yeah, a
1: technology it's the <clears throat> same group technology yeah. right and uh so in this the demiurge shows up and matter is eternal in plato's model it's not an illusion it's this eternal stuff that has no form of its own no qualities of its own but through the interaction of the forms the platonic forms that exist in the mind of the one in the demiurge those forms reflect back off matter and give us all of these quantities and qualities and objects and things So the Demiurge in the Timaeus dialogue organizes all of this stuff into what we see around us, into the cosmos. And then he attaches a chariot to each one, which this chariot is soul. He makes the world soul and animates everything by attaching a a chariot to it. Remember, the chariot is that soul vehicle. And when we say animate, that's really where anima means soul. So he's ensouling everything, giving it life and and being. And um, he—that's what becomes for the Gnostics the evil creator. You know, this evil demiurge, this because he's lesser than he's this—he's under the highest God. So they see him as like a
0: well. Isn't uh, it because too? Ad- I mean. Obviously, there's different explanations, but also because he's he's ignorant to this one true God, right? So, like, he's created an myth. inferior product, basically, and people are like, "Whoa, what are we right. doing here, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. There, there are Gnostic myths where Sophia, the female part of divinity, and Logos, the male part, they're like a married couple. Sophia wants to have a child, but the Logos does not. So she goes and reproduces on her own but because it, it's produced from only half of divinity it comes out lopsided and half developed and um she's embarrassed by it so she hides him in his own little cosmos yeah is that because is it
0: because sophia emanated without the Christ aspect of the right. consciousness or they're, something. Yeah, And young, and young. Like it's young kind of complicated, right? I mean, like it does, they're getting people like, if you're on board with this back in the day, you're, you're, you're probably one of the top thinkers too, because it, it's not as simple as, Oh, there's a God. Let's worship this God. It's like really complex. And they, they metaphysical, you know, it. yeah,
1: they're trying to rectify it with Jewish teachings too. So here they have the Timaeus, which is a very, really focused creation story. And then you have floating around outside Genesis with the Jews and these texts are all circulating. So when these the, these Gnostic Christians who were Platonic, but also this in the early stages of this post-Jewish religion that was forming that we call Christianity... They took what they had read from Plato and they go back and they read Genesis. Well, guess what? In the original text, it it says that man is created by Elohim. The word used for God in the beginning of Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. It says Elohim. Well, Elohim is complex anyway. It's a problem because it's, it's a plural for one. So it means gods, but it's a feminine plural. So it almost would mean goddesses create man and female as a, a hermaphroditic spiritual being? Well, by the time we get to chapter two, Elohim disappears, and now the word that is that shows up is Lord God. And in the English translation, the King James Version, it doesn't explain that, well, Lord God is a different deity called Yahweh or uh, Yodhava. There are lots of different pronunciations, but it's the Yodhavah, the Tetragrammaton god and it says in chapter 2 that he created man of the dust of the ground and then breathed life into him so the gnostics the, the people who would be who would become the gnostics they see this and they say oh well that's a second god and he took something that was already a spiritual being and perfect because it's hermaphroditic and has male and female components he trapped it in matter created it of the dust of the ground, and then separated the female out in the form of Eve and put these restrictions on them in this little garden. you know, So that for them, he's the demiurge and Elohim is connected with the highest deity. And, and of course, Jehovah tells Adam and Eve, don't go eat from that tree. If you do, it'll kill you. And the serpent comes along and he says, you know, that's not true, eat it, you'll see, you won't die. And they didn't die when they ate it. They might have introduced the possibility of death, which is how it's explained in Christianity and Judaism, but they didn't die after they ate it and their eyes were opened and they became as gods knowing good and evil. So for the Gnostics, that serpent, they reasoned, oh, well, that serpent must have been one of those Elohim, one of those goddesses or at least they're a And they sent this being down into this realm where Jehovah had trapped Adam and Eve and sent them. they sent them down to come and say, hey, if you would eat this fruit, if you'd take this psychedelic, it would open your eyes and you'd realize your origins are his origins, that y'all both come from the same place, which is this highest God realm. You know so you can see how with the timaeus coming along attempting to reinterpret genesis with this new information how that demiurge character becomes yahweh becomes yaldabaoth becomes this blind idiot god that has motives that are different from the elohim who created man male and female as a spiritual being you know
0: yeah interesting stuff. You know, not to get like down the religious path, but like you know what's always intrigued me when I was getting reading through all this stuff, like especially when we started this podcast was the character Melchizedek and I think it's been like bastardized through like new age shit. But like totally. if you if you go back and you look at like it's only referenced a couple times, it means like a high order priest, some even say Jesus was a part of this order, the order or whatever. Of Yeah. Yeah, So like, that's interesting to me. And I wish there was like more on that, but like I said, it seems like I found a few esoteric things, but it's more aligned with crazy stuff. Do you, do you know anything more about that or just kind of that? it's,
1: it's associated with Jesus because when Abram, before he becomes Abraham, his name is Abram, he gets initiated into this order of Melchizedek by Melchizedek himself, or Melchizedek. you hear it pronounced both ways. And the way he initiates him is by sitting down and having bread and wine with him. That's the initiatory process. And it's at this point that he is given one of the letters of Yahweh's name is Y-H-V-H is his name, yod Hey Vau Hey. He's given one of those H's, one of those H's is placed in the middle of Abram and it becomes Abraham. And you see a similar idea with Jesus. This came about with um, with the Florentine Platonic Academy. There was a man named Johann Reuchlin, who wrote this book called De Art Kabbalistica. And in it, he argues that the name of jesus yeshua is just those same four letters yod hey vau hey yahweh with the letter sheen which makes the sh sound inserted in the middle of it just like abram got abraham with the h inserted in it now sheen isn't a letter that's in the divine name but by inserting that letter in the middle of the divine name you get a new name this yeshua so it, it's an interesting, interesting thing. Melchizedek, has, he's, he plays a larger role in the, the esoteric side of Judaism, but he does show up in the Bible when he initiates Abram. Interesting.
0: <clears throat> so, all right, now let's get down to business. What was actually going on? Do you think that these... Ancient, you know, Proclus, Iamblichus, Porphyry, Plotinus. Do you think they were actually communicating with any sort of god or metaphysical entity? Do you think it's all just psychological in the mind? Do you think that there was possibly psychoactive compounds at play as well? Like, what what do you think was happening here?
1: There were definitely psychoactive compounds involved. And back then they called them Pharmaca. Pharmaca gets translated in the Bible, for instance, as sorcery. When you see the word sorcery, the word used is pharmaca, and that's the root of our word for pharmaceutical. It, it means magic plants. Now, later, it can come to mean any magical act that has an effect by a means that can't be seen like the way a drug works you take the drug and you feel different but you don't know what it did or how it makes you feel different the mechanism by which it works is invisible so that became in later times anything like that a, a poem if you read a poem and it made someone feel different that could technically be a pharmac,a. but in the beginning it's specifically magical plants and uh in theurgy they have this practice of animating statues and not making robots of of in filling them with anima and the means by which they do this is with pharmaca. they use drugs they put drugs in the in the statue of these gods in the same way that we put drugs in ourselves to animate ourselves under those contexts and Iamblichus talks about you know the use of pharmaca in theurgy and we know, remember, we said that they they ascend through these levels of the heavens that was basically laid out by porphyry, the, the, the system. Um, well, when Christianity first came along, it was a mystery school. It was secretive. Nobody knew what they were doing. And if you hadn't been initiated, you weren't allowed to see or hear about what they were doing the first time we get a picture of what the early christians were actually doing comes from a book by this philosopher named celsus who is a platonist and celsus he describes this ritual that's familiar to christians now in orthodoxy and in catholicism where you're you're baptized and immediately after baptism you're anointed with oil and a chrismation and then you participate in the communion the lord's supper well in some of forms of these baptisms we see in in this one type of gnostic group they hold certain plants in their mouths while they're being baptized we don't know what the plant is but we know that that same plant according to Pliny the elder was used in necromancy specifically to call up the soul of of homer from Hades so it's it's already associated with magic and with visions and things but when kelsis starts talking about their ritual he says when they get to the consecration with that oil he says that they rub this what he calls the white unguent of the tree of life all over their body and when this happens they leave their soul leaves their body and travels up through the seven heavens and they have this ascent ritual, this ascent experience. Well, we don't know what that white unguent of the tree of life is, but we have precedent for it in other contexts, and it's it's flying ointment, basically. It's the use of various psychotropic visionary compounds that are taken in the body topically by infusing them into an unguent or an ointment. And this is what we, when we hear about the witches flying by covering their bodies in this ointment by them leaving their body and traveling through the heavens that's that motif of flight that survives in in the the later witchcraft in or europe just smearing datura oil all over their body detura um, <laughs> mandrake belladonna um, yeah, henbane, sounds, and henbane sounds you know, terrible it, by the way it, it, yeah it does <laughs> it, at delphi when the when the Pythia, the oracle at Delphi, when she would prophesy, she would burn henbane seeds and inhale them. And and this was this association between Delphi and henbane was so tight that henbane back then was known as the herb of Apollo. Apollo being the god who was the god of Delphi, the god of oracles also. But this infusing henbane in an ointment and putting it on their bodies. Um, I wouldn't put that past them, but we know that if the early Christians were doing it, we know how much they were borrowing from Platonic practice already from Platonism and Neoplatonism um, and theurgy in general. It stands to reason that that this practice also existed in the pagan quote-unquote pagan side of it too so I absolutely am under the impression that they were using um, psychedelics and and even if we go back before the Neoplatonists, we go back to the pre-Socratics with Empedocles you know in the in the fragments of Empedocles one of the fragments is he says that he's going to teach his student all manner of pharmaca, all manner of doing magic with plants with these magical plants so it, it's it's very tightly woven connection with with psychedelics and these ascent motifs. So yeah, can, I
0: mean, I'm just curious because, like, I don't know, like four years ago, I'm just thinking, like, who are these gods? Where were they? Who? What were these? You know, and then I, I just that set me on the path. And now you were even in our documentary, As Within So Without, where we're analyzing you know, are UFOs like the kind of the modern day Greek God in the sense that people, you know, will believe that there's this thing, even though, OK, yeah, I've had weird experiences. You've had weird experiences. But can you put your hand on that on that experience and be like, hey, check this out? No, you can't. So it's more of like a gnosis, you know, like a a knowledge from experience, which you can't really share with. Um, other people so back then is that the same thing and like the other thing is is like okay so apollo did enough people get together and just like you know what i'm saying like because think about modern christianity okay let's believe there's one true god or whatever um you know is this people have different perceptions of god oh he's a bearded zeus looking guy in, in the clouds or he's uh you know, primordial energy or whatever the case may be. Um, There's not like a consistent thing. Like how, how were these gods so consistent and how were people interacting with that consistency, I guess is the best way to phrase what I'm trying to say, if that makes sense.
1: Well, the, the, the way the gods looked in ancient Greece were given to us by homer and hesiod when they describe them then they describe their epithets like when he, when homer would say gray-eyed athena so this this gray-eyed goddess if you saw something like that in a vision and you were greek you would naturally think oh that's that was athena i just saw but once you're given a picture of what the god should look like in a visionary experience you you've already been kind of programmed to see it that way but i think it's important to point out that so most it's like of a
0: machine people, elf type thing like a Terrence McKenna mentioning of, machine and, and, elf and then and just the mind so suggest, suggestible kind of a thing
1: yeah yeah i think so but at the same time seeing gods wasn't the norm i mean very few times do you see somebody saying they saw gods rather they would interact with the gods through oracles who would do drugs go into trance and then utter something that was so seemed so nonsensical at the time and then later something would happen and you'd say oh that's what she meant you know or through just divination practices all of these were how they would interact with the gods but nobody was really seeing gods now that's not to say nobody was i mean but it wasn't the common thing and in regard to ufos you know that the 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 common vision of of the circular object that that circles in the heavens you know when plato describes the gods he describes the perfect the motion of the gods as being circular, in orbit, you know, that that anything that's perfect would basically be circular and make circles. Um, and I think that fits very well with the visual of the classic UFO that people tend to report. You know, when I yeah, saw that's kind it, of young saw, it didn't look like that, but yeah. but yeah, Young is drawing on Plato. And yeah. he gives that interpretation. You know, of course, for him, it's no longer a god. It becomes the archetype of the self, you know, the complete self, the the person who has integrated all of his archetypes that he previously had projected onto the world. And it becomes the perfect circle or sphere. But that mode of thinking began with Plato.
0: Yeah, just like I said, it's just something... that's why I've come to the conclusion. I mean, we've done enough episodes on it. We've had you on a million times too. Um, that for me, altered states of consciousness is kind of the only way to even experience metaphysics. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know how you could experience (sighs) something like that in day to day consciousness. And even like people that are talking about like, you know nighttime stuff it just it makes me wonder what are they tired is it sleep paralysis again not that that couldn't be some sort of vehicle to connect with some other realm or whatever or some sort of you know chemical gateway to whatever but it just makes me wonder like you know i know i'm i want i want truth so i'm going to be fully so like when I had my UFO I like I didn't know or orb experience with my dad where we saw it in his backyard. like I didn't be like oh I saw a UFO and that's like oh let's try and you know put a whole mythology behind what just happened but we just both kept saying like that was weird that was bizarre you know we just kept looking at each other like that was fucking weird you know so it's like um, but I think the problem lies when, when people do create that mythology or they're maybe not as curious so they're not willing to, to go through the steps of trying to understand what happened or look into it deeper if that makes sense you know it makes you wonder how many people have experienced weird things that just don't have any interest of you know Mm -hmm. what happened to them and then there's people that's like that's their wake-up call or that's the the initiation or that's the paradigm shift or whatever you know so i think um I don't know, I think life's weird, and I think that the mind is such a powerful thing. Um, It's so easily influenced, and when I look at these ancient people, it's so hard to even think about somebody else's consciousness today when I have everything at my fingertips on the Internet and I can look anything up. To go back 4,000 years, 5,000 years, whatever, is is insane to try and even think about what those people, what mindset they were in. Mm
1: Mm-hmm and And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that you know to experience these things implies an altered state of consciousness that that can mean drugs that can mean meditation that can mean sleep deprivation that can mean a whole host of things and transmit through theater music all of those things induce altered states people of get
0: runners high i mean there's so many different ways to get to achieve altered states of consciousness um but yeah, then I did, you
1: have I, the problem of you and your dad like yeah. i'm sure y'all weren't meditating when you saw the orb
0: no so yeah no we were we were awake um we were i was about to have i don't drink really but it was his birthday and i was about to have a stella <laughs> <clears throat> And I, we didn't, my wife went to go grab it from the kitchen and came back and she had her, she had her back turned to it. And my dad and I were facing out of his backyard and yeah, we saw this orange orb hover. Um, I looked it up afterwards. It was where the Scorpius constellation was, but it wasn't, this was like close. This was, this couldn't have been some star and it just darted off before. Like I went to grab my phone. And I wasn't even thinking on the level like, oh, I'm going to try and take a picture or a video. I was actually trying to pull up the star chart to make sure to see what I was looking at. And by the time, and I knew it wasn't really a star, but by the time I pulled it up, this thing was already gone. And like I said, we just kept saying how bizarre it was. But, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it was this or oh, it was that. I don't know. It could have been ball lightning. It was, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, it could have been a lot of different things. But what I know is it made me feel weird. I had a weird feeling. My dad had a weird feeling. Um, you know, I don't know, but.
1: And, and you, you know, if one person is in an altered state of consciousness, it, it's a common trope that it can influence other people. We, that's what contact it high. Did,
0: it did put me in like a state though. Now that you're saying, so like, not like anxious, but just like an, ex, an excitive, mm-hmm. an ecstatic, ecstatic state, I guess is, that's what I would say. Static
1: and you've heard of à do the uh, it, uh, it's a psychological concept using psychiatry it means madness shared by two or you can have à trois, madness shared by three but it's generally that two persons share in in a, what for psychiatry is obviously an illusion something an imagined thing but for them it's real and it seems real you know and those things can't be easily explained away but you you see it with for instance the the those convents there's been a couple of convents where the whole all of the nuns go into this frenzy and are are seeing the devil and and desecrating the the temple you know and they all go through it at once all because one person starts doing that and it spreads like crazy you know of course we can't we can't just explain it away it could be ergot poisoning it could be any number of things but those things do seem to happen spontaneously without any real reason to find you know and i think That's why i said i I doubt you and your father were meditating i'm sure you weren't out there tripping on acid with your dad you know so to see something to be able to be in what feels like baseline consciousness and then enter what or see what you would normally need to be in an altered state of consciousness to see it just it raises questions again about the, the even if it was a this.
0: perceptional thing that what does that say about us you know <laughs> that we can yeah. just get jacked off of scene you know and i mean to, you know what it felt like too for on some level um is like seeing like a picture of a, like a scary gray out of nowhere or like being in your room and seeing like a shadow and thinking oh my god what was you know something like that you know how you get that like you're 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 pumped up a little bit that's kind of like mm-hmm. what it was but,
1: but that's after it though Right, it's right. That's what I'm saying. So that's what I was. Pre- but that's yes, why I brought this up because this is the
0: only time I've ever had anything in day to day consciousness that was like that. Because all the other experiences that I've had were whether it's you know psychedelic or meditation or um, you know, like we said, there's so many ways. Lucid dreaming. There's so many ways to induce it. I've tried most of them at this point. Breath work. I mean, you name it. Yeah. Um, breath works pretty. Cool. Dude, I did it live. <laughs> we had this guy, Ben Holton, who runs these, like, you know, they do, like, uh, getaways and stuff or whatever you want to call them. Um, uh, and I did alkaline breathing on our Patreon, and I was, like, fully, like, geometric patterns coming at yep. me just, just from breathing, just from breathing, just, like, deep 40 deep breaths in and out, and I was, dude, I was jacked.
1: I got on a kick with doing it was just basic pranayama when I was get first getting into yoga about 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago. And um I had just gotten on Adderall. I was taking Adderall for I, I'm the most distractible person on the planet and then, so they were trying me on Adderall. And uh that stuff, I couldn't sleep in, on it. it, you know, and and especially it being a new something I that's was taking. And I, and so <laughs> I it's interesting, and given its
0: chemical composition, but, that you couldn't fall asleep.
1: <laughs> <if> it, <laughs> yeah, that's curious. But I, I I had been awake for like three days, no joke, and I could, I didn't have anything to do. I didn't know what to do with myself, and and the only thing I was interested in at the time was yoga. So I sat there and Siddhasana, And did pranayama non-stop that whole time. And at some point, it was like the physical sensation was like a tree limb snapped in my chest. And as soon as that happened, I felt my face get hot like it was on fire. My ears got hot. My lips got hot. My nose. I could feel my eyebrows. Everything had this heat coming off of it and i went into this state of absolute ecstasy it, i've done a lot of drugs there ain't a single thing i've ever taken that felt like this and it lasted for just about as long as i'd been doing it for right at 72 hours i was walking around like like i was in fucking heaven or something i mean it was the most incredible experience of my whole life just from sitting there breathing
0: yeah, that's like uh, my, I'm trying to get back there now and work out since I've had my incident. But back in the day, I used to go to Lifetime Fitness, like after I would go out and party downtown Chicago. And I, on the way back, because <laughs> it's 24 hours, I would go work out. Dude, I would, I after I did a full workout, did like a steam, everything, would. I'd walk out of there, dude. You couldn't feel better than I felt, you yeah. know having a great night on your belt and then getting feeling great, knowing you're just going to go home and pass out. Like there's no better feeling than that in the world. And, and all
1: of that, it's yeah. worth saying, all of that w- was sacred back in the day. You, you, when you read about the therapeutic, where we get our word therapy from, you know, all of these deep tissue muscle massages, soaking in a sauna, you know, these were religious practices couple thousand years ago you know you, our, our modern condition we we can't get a hold of anything sacred without turning it into a a treatment a therapy kind of you know and it doesn't i don't think it detracts from its effectiveness but i think it's it's interesting to consider how these things were once religious practices you know it's no wonder they
0: well we're so, so distracted effective. Look at all the, mm-hmm. the stuff we've got around us. We've got gadgets and toys and phones and you know, that's the other thing is how much knowledge do we have now compared with a lot more, but it doesn't mean we're applying it to anything for most people. You know, like so like that's the problem. I feel like back then you kinda had to apply what you knew and now you don't. You can just know a ton of shit and not do anything about you
1: know, it. That's the difference in, in and and knowledge and wisdom, you know, you, you can you can know everything in the world about mountain climbing, read every book on mountain climbing, but until you're on that mountain with your knuckles white frozen to the rock, trying not to fall off, you don't know shit about mountain climbing. You know?
0: It's like, have you ever heard that young story?
1: Um, I think it's from
0: modern man's search for a God maybe or no. Is that what it is? Let me see if I search for a soul Oh yeah. Modern man search for a soul. I think that's what it is. Let me see if I can pull it up on my thing. Um, but you know, in terms of, uh, there's a story where, yeah, it's, it's a modern man's in search of a soul. Um, so the story goes young, obviously in a large part of this book, he's talking about dream analysis. Um, And this person who's a a mountain climber, this guy keeps having these dreams that he, um, you know, is going to die up there alone on the mountain. Um, So he has a couple close calls. And then, you know, Young's like, well, just don't go up alone. You know, always bring a partner with you and then you won't fulfill that aspect and so he does that he keeps going up and he goes up with other people and everything's fine and then one time nobody else can go and he goes by himself and he dies alone up there and as as he said in his dream so that begs the question did he realize that did he see it ahead of time um and have some sort of precognition or did he succumb to the influence of the mind and it's just something that happened because mm-hmm. of you know his awareness i don't know
1: that's that's my question with all oracular processes is it is it predicting or is it programming you know the 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 event young ta- young discusses a bunch of cases like that in different books of people coming and saying that they they're they've dreamt this or they're terrified this is going to happen you know and he he always gives them that same kind of advice you know well don't do exactly what you saw there and it won't happen but they always tend to uh, I'm doing it (laughs) yeah they do it Crowley um, Alistair Crowley he was a famous mountain climber at one time and there's actually a death that is associated with his time as a mountain climber Um, some people believe he he killed the guy on this mountain there's and there's evidence to to back that up that he he may have murdered somebody on a mountain that's crazy Crazy. Mm
0: -hmm. um so is this is this how do you think this ties into we kind of mentioned it before but how do you think this ties into like all your other research like do you think because I mean, I'm just trying to think like in terms of obviously a lot of your other stuff's been, you know, like masonry and symbolism mm-hmm. and more, not medieval, but like
1: more alchemy
0: alchemy and esoteric and hermeticism and stuff like that. Do you think that these two things are tied together? Do you think you're gonna do something in the future on that in terms of like, obviously, cause the reason why I ask you, cause that's kind of what like shamanism basically is right Definitely. i mean and that
1: that's what my i've got a book that i've finished shortly after i completed the book on theurgy and it's on native american shamanism in the mississippi valley and because
0: um, that ancient theurgy is just like the western version of Shamanism, right? It's like that's yeah, yeah. soul
1: flight, you know the right. the axis mundi going up or down. Obviously, there is a
0: lot of differences too, but that's kind of it's all about divination, definitely. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we've talked about this before when Greg and I were on Greg Little. Um, after I wrote this book on Theurgy, I I was in Yorkshire. I was speaking at the Tiringham Initiative up there. And uh, Graham Hancock and Dennis McKenna were standing nearby having a conversation. And I was standing there with Brian Murarescu, who wrote uh, The Immortality Key. And I was telling him about my book on theurgy and what the theme, what it was about, about this soul flight idea. And Graham and Dennis both kind of turned around and were like listening to our conversation and one of them interrupted us and said, "Are you, oh, you're talking about the path of souls. And I said, I don't, I don't know what that is. What, what are you talking about? And he said, well, everything you just said um, is what happens in this path of souls. He said, you need to go research the path of souls. So the first thing I did when we left the Tearingham Initiative was get on the phone and look up path of souls. And that led me to Greg Little's book. And by the time I got back to Mississippi, the book was waiting on me and I read it and I was astounded um, that they're describing the exact same thing. Something we didn't get into with the theurgy thing is that once the soul can get out out of the body, there are these two gates in the skies at certain constellations and the soul enters these gates and it leads them to the Milky Way. And it's in the Milky Way where souls that are dead. Sounds like the Tibetan
0: Book of the Dead.
1: Very similar. Or souls that are are either dead or people who haven't been incarnated yet constantly circle in this Milky Way, orbit here. And in the Native American model, which is for them primarily an after-death model, um, but it's the same. The gates are in the two same places. They lead onto the Milky Way, which is the technically the path of souls. And that's where they don't just orbit forever. Um, but it still is so overwhelmingly similar that I I dove in my head first. You know, I thought this is incredible. How, how is this same model showing up in on the Mississippi River Valley and it was going on in ancient Greece, you know, and I still have trouble wrapping my head around that but uh but yeah so i the i wrote a book on this topic as well with in and made some revelations we've talked about my missahuasca hypothesis that it really makes a lot of sense of a lot of what they're describing and based on these the use of these entheogens um within the native american traditions but that being said this book that i have coming out on this phenomenon in the mississippi valley It is the same as what I'm describing in the theology book and what they're doing, I believe is the same as what was happening with alchemy. With alchemy, they're putting the, these plants through these processes, but it's ultimately to ingest them, to take them and give them these, it's out of body experience to separate the soul from the body, the subtle from the gross, as they would say.
0: You don't have to tell Uh, me, bro, that's what mind escape is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Y'all do a great job too. Well
0: no, I mean but that's what the the title is was if you can get, uh, I, I know. If you can get outside I, I, of your own mind, you can kind of figure out what that's the only way to see what's going on. I got news for everybody. You ain't figuring out consciousness until you get outside your own mind. So if that's right good, good luck. Good luck. But that's what we try and do, do here. Think, you know? I
1: do think it's all the same. I think I, I don't think my research is changing I think I'm just keep taking another step back and another step back of what is this phenomenon that um that I'm really just fascinated with getting out of your own way transcending your limitations and and of course death is hopefully a long way away you know so I won't have first-hand knowledge and for hopefully a long time, but when I do, it's not like I can come back. Dude, and I just I just met up with that about.
0: bastard a couple months ago, and let me tell you, oh I man. ain't, I ain't ready either. Rough. I ain't ready either. But no, so actually, if, if anybody listening hasn't checked out, um, go check out our last episode I did with uh, PD and Dr. Greg Little. It's on uh, our YouTube channel and all the podcast platforms uh there is slides with it too so i recommend either watching it on youtube or spotify um and yeah it's it's a it's an excellent episode and um p d walks that. us through his and the Yaupon and the black drink and all that kind of stuff so uh, very very excellent um as well as we've done a million now i think you've been our most you might have been you might have been our top Guest, now i think you're eight appearances maybe i don't even know how many do
1: i get a prize
0: you do get a prize like i said you can continue to co-host this thing that we were doing the psychedelic gnosis series we got to continue that here too yeah let's do it
1: it.
0: but yeah no man i mean honestly i love this book um i love when you're on i always learn new stuff and i like nerding out with you um and uh yeah i'm looking forward to the shamanism one and all the stuff you're you know i know you you, like you said you were in contact with greg and you know when we had you on before it sounded like you had a you know a, a real good grasp on everything so um i'm looking forward to that and future projects and uh yeah man i mean new year um you know, I think for Mind Escape here we're just gonna keep doing what we're doing, some minor changes and uh I might be a little bit more fickle with who I have on. Um but that doesn't mean that we're not gonna have fun. It doesn't mean we're not gonna explore all the you know, the usual topics that we normally do. Um and, you know, I'm going a more positive route this year. I feel like last year I kinda did a little bit of, you know, piling on and shitting on people and just aggravated with the world. I think this year I'm going positive. I'm a, you know, I'm just uh I've had a rough year. Obviously I almost died. Watched the near death experience a few episodes ago if you don't know what happened. Um, you know, there was no the- theurgy happening there. <laughs> um but uh yeah, I don't know. Let's just let's keep doing what we're doing here and we'll have PD back on soon. When does your shamanism book come out? Do you know?
1: They just finished editing it, so I sh- I'll have a uh, an official publication date. In the next Is
0: that one coming out. through Inner Traditions as well? Yep. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. And, uh, yeah, so check out this bad boy. It's nice. Hard cover, thicky. Um, they did a
1: great job with the cover. Yeah, yeah
0: absolutely. Yeah, Inner Traditions does an amazing job. And bearing company, I believe, um but uh yeah, no i um I'm really looking forward to this year and lots of cool guests coming up, and uh yeah, just you're obviously gonna be coming on a lot. We'll talk about psychedelic stuff next time. I know people probably that's what they really want to hear, but yeah. the g, this was interesting, man, like I said, I think there's a nerdy component to what we just talked about, but I think it's important to understand the origins of things and i don't think enough people do i think you would agree with that like when i learn something new i immediately go into how did this come to be you know like what's the origin of this thing and then i can figure out is this bullshit is this worth my time is this um you know whatever so
1: and the the, the way we experience the world i mean we take a lot of it for granted we don't realize how many giants shoulders we're standing on, you know, and it's been said that everything following Plato was basically commentary on Plato, whether they agreed with it or disagreed with it, it changed everything. So it is worth knowing and it does give some insight into our current predicament, especially in regard to Christian religion. You know, what is that and how did that happen? And what, what should it really be, you know? we Whether we like it or not, we do live in a very Christianized world now. And just for that reason alone, I think Plato is, is worth an hour or two, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, again, my favorite is Euthydemus. talks about heuristic rhetoric. And if you read that dialogue, you're like, this is what's happening on the internet right now. This is exactly... What's happening on the internet right now. And it's You're frustrating because right. it's like this old motherfucker knew what was going on so far back then, you know. So I don't know. It's just frustrating. But yeah, go Euthydemus is a great one. in my I mean, there's so many obviously the Republic, probably one of the most well written um, you know, pieces of literature, maybe ever. Um Yeah, there's I mean you the Timaeus
1: if if you like the think- it's a the, good good place to start if you're not familiar. Yeah. The Phaedrus,
0: dialogue. yeah, Euthyphro, uh, oh, Phaedrus. That's like more. He has mm-hmm. a couple quotes, even one for maybe the Eleusinian Mysteries in there. Oh yeah.
1: Um, yeah. The, um, the uh, uh symposium.
0: Symposium the, about love. Eleusinian
1: Mysteries is yeah. the real theme of that Yeah. One. And it's then a, there's a great dialogue, a great uh, speech in there given by Socrates, but he's inheriting Diotima, who was a priestess at the Eleusinian Mysteries. So you get kind of an inside picture of what kind of lectures were given in those halls.
0: You've got that. Yeah. There's so many, uh, Mino, if you want to learn about virtue and get frustrated, um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I mean, and look, people want to take, you know, with the Atlanta stuff and some people want to take this stuff word for word, And they say, oh, well, Plato never made stuff. Well, everything is made up in the dialogues, literally everything, because, uh, I mean, you have to read them, but it's all Socrates talking to people that didn't even live at the same time as him. So how is that even possible? And was Plato there to take notes, you know, during these dinner parties and all these things that happened? No. Like, it's just this dude was just a master at writing and understood philosophy and yeah
1: he the dialogue form allows him to not argue one point he he, he's able to put the opposite argument in somebody else's mouth and I, i i have yet to meet a person that whose position on the matter wasn't Addressed by one of the people arguing in there, so it's a really great way to cover a lot of ground on a topic and get it from multiple angles. Yeah, that's really Plato, Plato's brilliance. It, you're you're getting it. It's like you can hold the problem and turn it and look at it from every side.
0: Yeah, and we keep saying you know we've been talking about Neoplatonism, and that's part of the you know bottom part of the title of his book. That's actually like an 18th century word too. So don't, if you're looking up stuff, I would actually look up the people that we were talking about. Plotinus, Porphyry, uh, Iamblichus, um, Plato, you know, I would look these people up directly and not look up just the topic. Because again, you want to get to the origins and not necessarily the final product. So,
1: Mm -hmm. but Yamblichus, his book, Day Mysterious, I think is probably the best introduction to this mode of thought. And it's, it's, it's a hard read, but it's comprehensive. And if, if you can understand one paragraph and walk away, chew on that for a day or for a week, you know, and come back, the time's going to pass regardless whether you read it or not. But, a paragraph even a sentence a day is progress with this stuff because it's dense dense as hell you know but day mysterious yeah Jambicus, that's and good anytime place.
0: you're reading something that's translated from greek or latin or it's almost better to and i've learned this from listening to professors and stuff too to read multiple translations or if you're in like a book club have two different people read two different translations So maybe you come to some sort of difference or you come to some sort of under even understanding uh, of a common word between the two or a common phrase or something like that so Mm -hmm. um, that's a good way at truth too because everything is kind of like a game of telephone and languages and time and everything so
1: that's a great point yeah
0: um but yeah, man, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap it up here?
1: Um, no, uh, you know, if you want to keep up with my um, my research, I'm PD Newman on all my platforms. Um, my book on Theurgy was released December fifth within Inner traditions, and it's doing really well, um, getting a lot of positive feedback. And I should have um, in the next few months my book on native american shamanism and the afterlife journey in the mississippi valley i don't know what the title will be but that's what, it, what it's going to be about and um your titles I are all
0: super long that is going to be the title it, be, it probably it
1: it be. It. but i think that'll probably be my most accessible work you know the theurgy is admittedly a, there's a small demographic of people already interested in that but native american shamanism i think a lot more people will be able to get into this realm of thought through this book a lot easier than some of my previous efforts well no man you got to write what you're passionate
0: about if you were interested in theater you had to get it out that's what that's that's why those are the books i love reading because i can tell whoever wrote it like totally nerded out figuring this thing out or, and I read mostly nonfiction. So it's kind of easy to tell who's done their homework and not, but yeah, I love reading your books. Cause I know you've just done the deepest dive into this stuff. And I see, I see all the books that you've read that you're posting to sell, to buy new books for the next topic <laughs> or category. So it follow him. Bad, yep. If you're into all this stuff too. follow PD, because he will post his books for sale and they're usually great books at a great price. So that's right. Um, but yeah, if you want to buy his current book, The G, um, go down all the way to the bottom. I have two links one of the inner traditions, support inner traditions, and then one for Amazon. If you know, yeah. you can't do it, thank traditions. you. Um, and that's it. Um, if you want to support Mind Escape, the best way to do it is just to click the Linktree link down below. We've got merch, we've got oh, check out our documentary, As Within, So Without From UFOs to DMT. PDs in it we've got a lot of amazing people in it minds and thinkers and um we put a lot of time into it and uh yeah we're probably going to be working on a new project starting this year and it might have to do something with near death possibly yeah. um so look for possibly that um but uh yeah uh again best way to support Minescape just click the link tree link down below We do our shows live on YouTube, and then we also have video podcasts up on Spotify. And other than that, we are on all audio platforms. Um, And yeah, I can't really think of anything else, so we're going to wrap it up here. On the way out, I will play our new outro. um, And uh, yeah, let me know what you think of the new intro song. If you like it, you don't like it. Uh, don't send me anything if you don't like it but if you like it send me (laughs) send me something Uh, no but seriously I I put a lot of time into it that's all me that's me playing the guitar that's me playing the piano that's me playing you know using the MIDI controller to create the drum tracks and the horns and everything so um, that's it we love everybody stay safe out there and uh, we'll catch you next time peace thank
1: you